0: Um, Over the summertime, it's easy for us to get disconnected from each other. Life is busy. We're all chasing 50 different things. Summertime just brings the nature of that to us. And so um, last year, we started in a small way our our Come to the Table uh, life groups that just met over the summertime. And it was a good fellowship for those that were involved in that. And so we're going to do that this year, uh, this summer as well. So I just want to put this on your radar. Starting next week, we'll have uh, opportunities for you to register through the website and other places and just even in your bulletin. Uh, I just want you to begin thinking about That. This will start after Memorial Day and run through June and July. Um, And so I just want you to think about what am I going to do? What are you going to do as an individual to say, hey, what am I going to do to stay stay connected uh, to Christ, most importantly? What am I going to do to stay connected with with Christ's family and just build relationships, grow in community over the summer months? And uh, while the summer months do bring some challenges and obstacles to that, it also brings opportunities uh, to to, to meet together, to be together, to enjoy one another in in life groups. And so I just want you to begin thinking about that over the summer months here and how that might look for you and we 'll talk more with you about that next week um, and the second thing I want you to just highlight is is a couple weeks ago we announced this would be a decision sunday and um, it 's been cool over the last week uh, if you were with us last last weekend for our Easter services um, we uh, had uh, a cool thing Second service and third service Both had a baptism there uh, Alex Sanchez was baptized In second service last week And Lily Current's third service last week and, and then in the middle of the week Alvin Hudek Alvin, raise your hand Wave in the air I go. Alvin was baptized on Wednesday And so those were cool things That people are made decisions uh, In that um, step of, of faith in Christ And so we are thankful for that and, and rejoice with those folks as well But this is also a day That we uh, just try to do that every so often Just to encourage you And invite you to be a part of that So maybe you've been thinking about um, uh, what does it mean to uh, uh, What step does Jesus want me to take next in my life And there's always something that Jesus is leading to us And sometimes it's a public thing Sometimes that's just a private thing uh, But if you're at one of those stages Where you know I've been thinking about this whole uh, Being baptized into Jesus thing And uh, uh, maybe this is the day to do that or Maybe this is the day just to at least start the conversation um, Or maybe this is the day to make Ninth Street my church home And uh, we went with, through this with you a couple weeks ago But I'll just go quickly through it That, that if you've been hanging out with us for a while And, and you come to us And, and you've already surrendered uh, to faith in Christ, and and you're walking with Him. You've already been baptized into Him, um, and, and you share the beliefs that we have, and you're ready to serve and be a part of what we're doing here. You want to love the church body and, and work together with our leadership to honor Christ and and just share resources and all those kind of things. Just be a part of what it means to be a part of a church, not only to serve, but to uh, but to be served and all those kind of things. Um, at the end of our service today, we'll invite you to come forward and, and, and put your membership in here. If you just need to talk about that with us, we'll be glad to do that as well, okay? And so just know that that's coming up at the end of our service as well. Um, and so we're always excited for people to take those kind of steps, okay? Um, I do want to say a thank you. Uh, last weekend, we asked you to uh, kind of spread out uh, in the services because we knew that 930, uh, 930 service was always going to be a busy one. And you all did perfect. And, and every service was in like 25 people. So it was a cool thing um, that... Uh, uh, so thanks for doing that. If you came earlier, came late, uh, thanks for sleeping in. If you came late, I guess I don't, thank you for that. Uh, whatever that looked like in your life, but thanks for doing that. If, if that was, uh, if, you, if you did that, so we appreciate that. And it was a good Sunday, and uh, we were glad to be able to serve a lot of uh, folks um, through our three services last week. Well, we're beginning a new service, to, uh, new today, new, not a new series today. New series today that uh, we're going to look at over these next three or four weeks. And uh, this is always kind of a crazy time. Um, and at least if you got kids involved in school, I know this is a busy time of year, and there 's a lot of things going on, and uh, a lot of distractions as spring comes and summer activities begin, and, and all kinds of things so we 're going to talk the next few weeks, next four weeks, on this theme. the fine arm fine excuse me, I have to learn to talk today the fine arts of lifting a life now i, I 've been in enough hospitals and visits and stuff that I know when, when a patient needs to be moved. There's a very special strategy that people will use in order to, to lift a person, right? Sometimes they'll actually bring any lift. But there's certain ways that, that if you're in the medical field, you know you, you're supposed to lift. And, and maybe you can, I can find lots of pictures on the internet of, of maybe those signs in your workplace. So be careful how you lift, right? It's, it's never this. It's always this, right? Always lift with the knees, as they tell you. And so lifting is a special art that it requires some intentionality and some wisdom. And that is very true also in, in the Christian life. Um, you and I live life and, and we all know the struggle and the pain and the frustrations of, of feeling like you have fallen on your face in some way, shape or form. You know you have, you feel like you have failed. We've all been there. We all know that. And those can be the, some of the loneliest moments in our life for sure. And maybe that failure is self-induced. Maybe it just feels like life is failing us. It was just that, it's a lonely place for us to be. But have you ever failed on national TV with a worldwide audience watching you and everybody could see it? I hope not. I hope that's never on your radar. Except there's no, it's lonely enough when, when you're the one failing and maybe a handful of people fail, saw you fail. But when you're doing it in front of a national audience, uh, that could be a scary thing. This past uh, week, uh, April 25th, was the 16th anniversary of of a really cool thing that happened. It started off bad. It started off in in a very uncomfortable place for a young lady by the name of Natalie Gilbert. She was a 13-year-old young lady who had been voted on through some contest in Portland to be able to sing the national anthem before the Dallas Mavericks, Portland Trailblazers, uh, playoff game, and so this isn't, this isn't just a regular season game, this is an important thing, people are tuned in, people are watching, and it's a big deal, and so this 13-year-old girl steps out onto the court, uh, surrounded by an arena full of people, a national audience watching her, and um, she is thankful for the opportunity to sing the national anthem before them until it goes like this, so if you go ahead and play that, please. America and salute the men and women serving our country with our national anthem. Please welcome, as voted by you the fans, our winner of the Toyota Get the Feeling of a Star promotion, Natalie Gilbert. So the guy who steps in is the Portland Trailblazers coach at that time, Bruce uh, uh, Cheeks, uh, Mo Cheeks is what he came, was called. He um, played for the 76ers, went into the Hall of Fame last year and, and, uh, for the basketball NBA, play, NBA Hall of Fame. And uh, when he was inducted, people reflected a lot on his life, but that came up a lot. That that's the kind of guy he was. Uh, he would step in uh, to help. And when I think of the idea of lifting a life, that's the picture I want us to think about over these next few weeks. Because all of us end up in places where we feel like poor Natalie, right? We feel like we're going along in life, we're trying our best, and yet, for whatever reason, we end up in a place where you feel alone, you feel discouraged, you feel a little lost, and you need somebody to step beside you and to lift your life. And I love what the Bible says in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9 and 10. When it reminds us of the importance and the beauty of of relationship, of friendship, when it says that two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. But if either, either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls when there is not another to lift him up. And so over these next few weeks, we want to just think about how do we, as, as a church family, how do we as individual Christians, how do we excel and grow in this, in this nature of, of being a life lifter? Um, that's one of those things that um, I hope that as we go through this, that as we highlight four different people from the Bible who were known as encouragers who are known as life lifters, that that we will look at their examples, that we will learn from them, and we will find ways that in our own lives that we can lift a life. And and maybe it's it's little things. Maybe it's not gonna be on national TV where a whole audience sees it. But boy, that one person, if you're the Natalie and there's nobody else that sees, but if you are that Natalie and you know it, you know the difference that a life lifter, that an encourager can make when they step alongside you in your life. And so as Christians, we all need encouragement, all of us. The life that Jesus calls us to live is a hard journey. It is sometimes a frustratingly lonely, frustratingly difficult task, sometimes just to live out the life that Jesus calls us on a regular basis, day in and day out. And so one of the things that God makes it very clear of in the New Testament is that you were never called to be alone as a Christian You were never called just to have a personal relationship with Jesus. The Bible very rarely speaks to us in those terms. The Bible very often speaks to us in the context of of community, that we are called to uh, be together, that there's a communal aspect to our faith that is vital to our survival and our growth As a Christian. And so when the New Testament talks about this, I love the definition that Rick actually gives of what encouragement is that encouragement is to motivate others in the direction of Jesus. And so we're not talking about some shallow, hey, I like your shirt today. Hey, I hope the job's going good. Those are nice things, fine things. But I'm really talking about a heart that says, hey, what can I do to encourage this person's faith in their struggle or in their failure? Or, or in their insecurity, or, or in the newness of their faith, or in just the, the dryness of their faith, because they've been doing this for a long time. What can I do to come along someone that's going to motivate them in the direction of Jesus? That may be a little thing, maybe big things, but, but all of us have something that we can do in the life of someone else that's going to motivate them to move and think and lean into the direction of Jesus. And so, there's a, a list of commands in the New Testament that kind of reflect this whole communal aspect of how we're not meant to live this life alone. Uh, and it looks like this. There's a, It's all over the place in the New Testament. There's a blank, and, and then there's an each other. And so Paul and others, as they're writing about what this whole life of Jesus and the church life and community life is supposed to be like, and, and the word that is most often filled in the blank in the New Testament is the word encourage. It's the word encourage. That we are to encourage each other is the, the most repeated command oftentimes in Paul's little one another phrases. And why is that? It's because life is so good at discouraging us. Life comes at us, Satan comes at us, just everything just comes and, and boy, it can be discouraging. And so we need to be encouraged. And Paul would write, this is an example in 1 Thessalonians 5, 11, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact, you are doing, encourage each other. Build each other up. What can I do that's going to motivate someone to move and lean and think about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for them? The writer of Hebrews would say this in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 through 25, when he would say, Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Note the intentionality of that. That means that I stop, that you stop, and you give intentional thoughts to say, what can I do? Consider it. Stew on this. What can I do to spur someone on, to nudge someone, to motivate someone in the direction of Jesus towards love and good deeds? But don't give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but keep encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. We are called to be encouragers. Now, some people have the incredible gift of encouraging others, and and those are awesome people. But all of us are called, as as Christian people, to be an encourager. And so, let's look at some, I want to look at, we're going to look at four names over these next uh, four weeks. The first one today is the one that you probably, when I say the word encouragement, that comes to mind first and I think he's a good one to start with. Um, but we're going to look at the names of people that you may not, even others that may not be as familiar with. Names like Onesiphorus. Um, anybody name your kid Onesiphorus? No, probably not. Anybody, uh, Epaphras, got any Epaphrases in the crowd? No, we probably don't know those names. Ananias. Um, people that in the pages of the New Testament that, that just were encouragers in some way. And we're going to look at four different focuses that kind of show how they did that and the ways they did it. But we're going to start today with the most well-known. We think about encouragement and just reminding ourselves again of the person that Barnabas was. We meet Barnabas for the first time in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 4, verses 36 and 37, when the new church is being described in Jerusalem. And uh, Barnabas was one of those folks. His, that's not his real name. His real name is Joseph. Um, but he came to have this name of Barnabas because of a cool trait in his life, and it says this in Acts chapter four, verse 36. It says, "Now Joseph, a Levite of Cyprian birth, who was also called Barnabas by the Apostles, which translated means "son of encouragement." What an awesome thing. Just pause there a second. If your church leaders come to you and they have a nickname for you, that means you're making a difference. right? If they think, "Hey, man, you are you are the son of encouragement, right And if the apostles are, are giving you that nickname, that's a cool thing. And so what did he do? The son of encouragement uh, who owned a tract of land and he sold it and he brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. And so we begin to feel and see what, what Barnabas did to be a lifelifter, to be an encourager. Now, note the setting of what's going on there, because what Barnabas does, I think, as we're going to look at his life this morning, is just kind of highlights three things, three aspects of his life that made him worthy of the name Son of Encouragement, or Mr. Encouragement, if you want to call it that. The first thing he did is that he lifts people by seeing what others don't have and meeting the need. Encouragers, lifting people, are good at, at looking at other people. First of all, it's the first step of encouragement, right? Is to take my eyes off of myself and to look at other people and to begin to think what do they need and what do I have that can help to meet that need. Now, that may, for Barnabas, that was attractive land and he apparently had means that he could do that, uh, but that certainly doesn't mean if you don't have attractive land this doesn't apply to you. All of us have things and have things that are under our control that we can use to meet the needs of another person that is going to encourage them. Uh, And help them through life. Think about what Barnabas is facing. The church is brand new, it's never been heard of before. But in those early days of the church, it would have been a very difficult thing for these new Christians um, to make a go of it in life. And here's why maybe you run a shop in Jerusalem, you're a business person. And maybe now that you're a Christian, your Jewish friends no longer come and patronize your business because they don't want to do business with somebody who's no longer Jewish. Because the Jewish people are a very, very tight-knit group. And so they didn't want, didn't want to support something that wasn't Jewish. And so now you're, you're losing money and you're trying to figure out, how do I feed my family? Or how do I feed myself? Or maybe you work for someone and they fire you when they find out that you are no longer Jewish, but you were not, you were one of those Christian people. Or maybe you're a widow and your daily sustenance has come through the temple and the temple had a ministry that it, it fed widows that were Jewish and, and they took care of their own, and, but you're no longer Jewish. You're now aligned yourself with this this new Christian group. And so you go to the temple for, for help, for, for food, and they say, we can't help you anymore because you're no longer Jewish. And so what do you do with that? Well, people like Barnabas and the church as a whole, they looked at that and thought, you know what, there are these people, there are people that are in need, so we need to meet that. And so generosity began to rise up and people were encouraged, their needs were met because generosity overflowed into, hey, if I've got it and you can use it, it's yours. Because the mission, uh, the, the work that God is doing through Jesus now is much more important than, than my possessions or my portfolio. And so here's a field. It'll feed a lot of people. Take it, sell it, and use it to help people with. And so Barnabas became a man who was very much known for his generosity. But it wasn't just generous to be generous. It was generous towards the direction of encouraging people who needed food, who needed help, who needed needed support. And so he was very kind with that. And so he was well known for being a man who encouraged others through what he had. But there's a second thing that we learn as we look at Barnabas's life. Um, he, he he lifted people by seeing the good that God is doing in others. Now, not everybody has that gift, right? Not everybody has the gift of seeing the good things that God is doing. Some people a—they think they have a spiritual gift of seeing all that's wrong in your life, right? Just go on the internet, go on Twitter, go on some of those places, and that's all that, that, that community is sometimes is, hey, there's a fault. Let me pick at that fault and let's nag at that fault. And, and yet Barnabas was different than that. Barnabas was not a fault finder. He was a grace seeker. He knew the world was not a perfect place. He knew that there was broken things and and stuff that was going on that was not right in the world. But Barnabas was really good at at looking for the good, looking for where God was at work in the world, in a broken world. And and so in Acts chapter 11, verses 19 and 20, we're introduced to this really cool church that exists. And it's a different kind of church than has existed before, because up until this point, there has only been Jewish Christians, right? Only The gospel has only been preached to people that were Jewish. But because of persecution, because of the hardships that many of these Christians were faced, they were kind of scattered. And so some of them in this verse says this is what happened to them. Now, those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. So in other words, if you find Jerusalem on a map and just kind of draw a big circle, they just scattered in all the directions, right? Mostly north and to the west they went to antioch and and they began spreading the word not uh, spreading the word only among jews but then some of them crossed a line that had never been crossed before and and we all know that that the church is not always quick to embrace new and change, right? But they, some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to not speak just to Jews, but they began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. And so you have this brand new thing that's busting out because these Greek people are beginning to to surrender to Jesus, and they're following him, and you've got these new Christians that are that are not just Jews, they're not Jews, they're Greeks. And that enters a a whole new dynamic of of, of racial things, of ethnic things, of of the past and where we come from. And so the church in Jerusalem hears about this. And so they thought, well, we need somebody who's gonna go check this out and investigate this and see what's going on here. And so who do they pick? They pick the son of encouragement. They pick Barnabas and they send Barnabas to Antioch. And it says this in verses 22 and 23, that the news about them reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem and they sent Barnabas off to Antioch Then when he arrived and he witnessed, what what did he see? He saw the grace of God at work in the lives of people. As people heard the message of Jesus, they repented of their sin. They they followed after Christ. They began to to seek him and to follow him, and things began to change in their life. They saw the grace of God at work, and Barnabas didn't question it skeptically, but he rejoiced. And he began to encourage them all with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. And so that just highlights the idea that in a world that sometimes when things are different or things change or they don't look like it, maybe it used to look, it's easy to just Im- immediately go to the negative and think, well, that can't be good. Why are all those Greek people now in our church? Because you read the rest of the New Testament and, and that brings a lot of, lot of, trouble. A lot, a lot of hard things had to be worked through because now we have these Greek people who don't have our Jewish customs and Jewish past and Jewish roots. And so it was hard to bring those groups together, but it was worth it because the grace of God was at work in it. And so Barnabas was one of those kinds of people who seems as though he would look for the good in a situation. He would see that, yes, this is going to be different and, and the dynamics of this are going to change the church dramatically, but, but this is a good thing. This is good because God is, is, is winning more hearts. More people are following Jesus and, and the gospel is spreading and, and it's glorifying God. And so Barnabas was one of those people that, that looked for the good. And so maybe one of the ways you can encourage people, maybe you have things that you can, you can take and, and sell or take and give and, and encourage people with. Or maybe one of the ways that you can be a life lifter is to walk into a person's life and say, you know what, there's there's some broken stuff here. And I could focus on the brokenness and I could distance myself because you kind of have some broken things in your life. Or maybe you can come into the life of a person and say, man, I see a lot of good in you. I see what God's doing in your life and, and, and we're all works in progress. And so there's a grace that is shown, an encouragement that is shown into the lives of people because there's an insecurity, especially when you're a new Christian, that says, look, I know I'm, I've, I know my past, I don't understand all the traditions and rituals and what I'm supposed to be doing. So there's that awkward time in there when it's like, okay, what do I do with this, all right? My old life, I'm trying to walk away from, I'm trying to pursue a new life, but a lot of Christians can sometimes distance themselves because of, we don't know you, We're, you're unknown to us. But I want you to follow how this third thing kind of unpacks a little bit of how, of how he did that. Watch in a personal example of how Barnabas number three, I want you to, to see this. In Acts chapter 11, verse 25, look what Barnabas does. In response to everything he's seeing there, he, he left for Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for an entire year, they met with the church. Now, again, that's not a big, that's not a small thing. He looked for Saul, right? We're going to get to that in a second. And for an entire year, Barnabas met with the church, taught considerable numbers, and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. And so we lift people, number three, by investing and in drawing out what others could be. The third thing I want you to see is that we, we invest in people and we draw out what people could be. And, and in order to do that, I think you first of all have to do number two is you have to see that there's potential, to see that there's good in people, to see that, hey, man, this, this is what you could be if in, in God's working in your life. And, and Barnabas illustrates that so beautiful beautifully by going and finding this guy named Saul. Now, if you remember Saul's story, Saul did not have a good start to his life from a Christian perspective. In fact, on Saul's resume, it was a great many years of uh, of resisting Jesus, persecuting Jesus' followers, imprisoning them, leading to the murder and killing of some of them. Um, It was not a place that he would be welcome in most churches. But Barnabas, when he saw the grace of God at work in Saul's life, was not one who was quick to say, you know what, I'm done with you. I would have nothing to do with you. In fact, he saw God's grace at work in Saul's life and, and he looked to invest in that and to draw out that goodness. And so when he had this mission opportunity in Antioch, he went and found Saul, brought him back so that not only could Saul teach and preach, but I think there was some Barnabas teaching and, and drawing out Paul's, or Saul's character as well. But I love the story. It's familiar when we've read it before here. I love the story of how Barnabas first lends his lifting into Saul's life in Acts chapter nine, verses 26 and 27. It says, when he came to Jerusalem, he was trying to associate with the disciples. Again, this is Saul. He's just become a Christian. Uh, he is he's not, his reputation though precedes him, right? Everywhere he went, people used to be afraid uh, of him. But now he's switched sides. He's found Christ. And when he's trying to ingrate Involve himself in the life of the church now The church is distant And rightly so There's a lot of nervousness there This guy's maybe imprisoned my loved ones Or he's made my life chaotic Because of his persecution So when Paul came to Jerusalem He was trying to associate with the disciples But they were all afraid of him Not believing that he was a disciple But Barnabas But Barnabas Took hold of him And brought him to the apostles And he described to them How he had seen the Lord on the road How he had talked to him and how at Damascus he had spoken out boldly in the name of Jesus. He began to outline all the ways that God's grace was at work in his life. And Paul had a terrible reputation. Barnabas had an incredible reputation. And Barnabas was one of the kind of guys who would stick his reputation out a little bit, stick his neck out and say, you know what, I'll vouch for this guy. I'll vouch for him because I see God at work. I see potential. I see what could be in his life. And you continue to see that later, uh, because Paul even had to learn that lesson. Uh, Years later, you find Paul and Barnabas are a missionary team, and they're out planting churches and and doing God's work. And and there's this young man named Mark who ends up on one of their missionary journeys. And about halfway through the journey, whatever reason, Mark says, this is not for me, I don't want to be here anymore, and he abandons them. He leaves them, he goes home. And that was frustrating, anger-inducing for Paul but yet, in Acts chapter 15, verse 37 through, 30, through 40, you find that Barnabas is still in the business of looking for good, even in the people who, who maybe stumbled and fell a few times. Barnabas went to take John, called Mark, as they were going on another missionary journey along with them also. But Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along, one who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there occurred such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another. And Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left, being committed committed by the brethren to the grace of the Lord. Again, Barnabas was such a passionate, I see good in, even in a young man who's failed, I see such good in him, I'm willing to give him a second chance. Barnabas was that kind of person. Now, eventually Paul comes around. I think Barnabas's influence on, on Mark's life and even in Paul's life because later it, Paul would write this in the end of one of his letters in 2 Timothy chapter 4. He would say, only Luke is with me. Pick up Mark and bring him with you. same Mark that he would have nothing to do with. Well, I don't want him on my journey. But now, because of a guy like Barnabas, who was an encourager, who stepped into his life and said, hey, I believe in you. I think there's still good in you. Um, I sound like a Star Wars movie now. Um, But I I see good in you and and what you can be in life. And so he invests in him and he draws out that goodness and, and he became good and useful to Paul. And so... When you and I go through life, I just want you to start looking and thinking about what can I do to be an encourager? Now, as we finish here this morning, I'm going to have something to do for you. I want you to do something with me that I don't normally ask. I want you to pull your phone out. If you brought your phone, I know some of you didn't, but if you did bring a phone with you, uh, I want you to pull out your phone, okay? And no, don't, don't straight, go straight to games, but just pull out your phone for a second because what I hoped happened today is by the time we leave here today that between both services that we're going to have a, uh, maybe 150, 200 encouraging messages sent out from church to people to say, hey, I just want you to know that you encourage me. I want you to know that you have helped to lift my life, and I appreciate that. Or I want you to reach out to somebody who needs a lift. I know life is hard right now. I know you're going through things. Maybe your health is a struggle. Maybe there's some relational things that are really hard. I just want you to know I'm thinking of you, and I want to be there for you. I want to encourage you, so I'm going to be quiet here for just a second, and if you got your phone, if you don't, I want you to maybe jot down a list of people that you can contact later, but I want you to send a text message to somebody in your life that either has encouraged you to say thank you or that you know needs a lift someone like Natalie, we looked at, at the beginning, who just needs you to come along and say, "Hey, I'm thinking of you today, I'm praying for you today. No life's hard right now, but but Lean in Jesus. I'll lean there with you. I'll help you. And so um, send a message, okay? And the awkwardness of this moment here, I'm gonna, you can have permission to text in church, all right, the one time. I'm going to give that to you, okay? So go ahead if you would. And so, in this moment, if you're sitting a longer text, that's okay. In this moment, keep, keep texting as I'm talking here as we finish here. Right? Um, as, we, uh, as we walk through things in life, I, I just hope that all throughout our church today and in our community, that there's people that are thinking, hey, that's, that's cool. Thank you for, for reaching out to me. Thanks for saying those words to me, because we have to be intentional. Back to that Hebrews passage, you looked at the beginning. We have to consider it. We have to think about it. We have to be intentional about it. And if we just have it in our minds, thinking, boy, I'm grateful for these people, that was sure nice of them to do that, and we keep it here, it does no good, and discouragement rules today. But when we take it from here, and we speak it, and we send it, and we write it, and we communicate it, uh, it just, discouragement begins to diminish, and encouragement rises. And that's what I want to see happen. Um, in these next four weeks. I want us to be learn to encourage in a deeper and more re- real uh, felt way in our bodies, in our families, in our communities, okay? So we're gonna pray and uh, we're gonna have to sing a song of decision here as we, as we finish up here this morning. Um, so let's just bow our heads and pray together and ask God to make us encouragers through our life.